0: The book, Deuteronomy, wasn't known by its ancient readers by that name. And it's an unhelpful name in many ways. When Jesus read the manuscripts that we know as Deuteronomy, he would have known them by the first words of the manuscript, which are, these are the words. Hebrew readers knew this book as these are the words. And that's a really helpful way to think about the book because it's preaching. Deuteronomy is three great sermons from Moses where he's preaching, he's explaining. uh, In our reading, even tonight, you'll see that he begins to expound or explain uh, the the law uh, to Israel. Uh, Verse 5, Moses began to expound the law. This is Moses speaking to the next generation, the young people of Israel, telling them what God said 40 years ago at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb before they go in. Uh, They're on the boundary. Uh, They're about to move again. They've been in the wilderness wandering and now Moses is expounding the word, preaching the word, calling out to Israel and he's reminding them of God's promises. He's reminding them of the conditions of God's covenant and he's asking them to renew their love for the Lord. It's time for action. It's time to move. It's time to do what the previous generation failed to do because of fear and disobedience. So these are the words. It's a timely reminder to the church and certainly to Alive at Five that our first responsibility as disciples of Christ is to be attentive, to listen and to obey. Uh, We need to know what God wants. We need to know what God says And then we need to respond faithfully, courageously and joyfully. These are the words. Um, first responsibility of the church is to listen. Listen attentively, listen obediently. The first responsibility of humanity is to listen. We all talk a lot, sometimes too much. The first responsibility of the church is to listen. These are the words. Deuteronomy is a name that doesn't quite capture the dynamism, these are the words. Deuteronomy is not only the preached words of Moses, it's the last words of Moses. And so a framework around this book is sadness, thanksgiving, uncertainty about the next phase. The nation of Israel has only had one leader, Moses. Born in Exodus through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, dies at the end of deuteronomy things are changing things are about to change so they're the preached words of moses he's about 120 in the text they're also the last words of moses Uh, they're important this is what he said before he died and when we read deuteronomy 34 and he goes up that mountain and doesn't come down again uh, the question mark is so what now can we trust god For the future, can we trust the younger leadership, Joshua and others? Moses is gone. In the whole shape of scripture, the great servant of the Lord gives way to the great son of the Lord. Moses gives way to Jesus. The word servant is always associated in scripture with Moses. He has been the great servant of the Lord he had to learn that didn't start out that way but he became a great servant and he will give way to the great son of the Lord to whom Moses always points Jesus is the greatest servant and the son of God and it's wonderful that the two of them meet on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 we have the account or Mark 9 or Luke 9 Moses talking to Jesus, the servant meets the son in the promised land where he doesn't get to stand at the end of Deuteronomy. He doesn't go in. He sees it from afar. The first time he goes in is when he meets with Jesus in the promised land. Uh, Along with Elijah and the three disciples. And what do they talk about? They talk about the exodus. Moses probably talks about his experience of exodus out of Egypt through water. Well, Jesus says, well, I've got a greater one about to happen through the cross, the grave, resurrection, through the heavens to the throne of the universe. Jesus' greater exodus is what Moses' lesser exodus points to and that's what they talk about on the Mount of Transfiguration, we're told. And three disciples get to hear those words and that would have been wondrous indeed. So, Deuteronomy is a momentous book. There are many moments in our lives, but this is a great moment. Israel is encamped on the eastern side of the river, what today is the land of Jordan. They're about to go in. They've been wandering for 40 years. It's all about to change. They're going to cross the water. They're going to fight with Jericho. They're going to take the land. This is momentous. And people have often said, and I've found it to be the case, that if we're sort of sensing that God's doing a new thing or this is a new year with new opportunity or something threatening is about to occur, perhaps somebody in our family is nearing death, perhaps there's something going on which we think this is momentous, then Deuteronomy is a book for you. It's a book for people who've been waiting, wondering, praying. Now it's about to happen. And Deuteronomy is made up of Moses preaching, this is what you need to believe, this is what you need to know, this is what you need to reaffirm, this is what you need to cling to for the big change that's about to occur. Maybe that resonates with you and perhaps for the nation and the world as 2023 is now underway. Where are they? When we had the reading earlier tonight, uh, we're struck by the fact that they're in a place which is a long way away from where we are. Uh, Arabah, Paran, Toffel, Laban, Hazaroth, Jizahab, Kadesh-Bunaya, uh, these are strange names and even commentators who've studied the geography of the area aren't quite sure where these places are. Uh, these are little towns, small village places probably, but we know that they're across from Jericho on the eastern side of the Jordan River. When Moses and the people of Israel left Egypt by exodus through the water, they came to Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb. They stayed there for 11 months and 20 days. And then they went north up to Kadesh, 250 miles, it took 11 days They were then on the southern border of the Promised Land and they were ready to go in. It took them 11 days to get to their destination But when they got there, they got frightened of the giants the armies, the fortified cities Though the land was fruitful, they didn't trust God that they could take it and God said, well you can turn around then and wander around the desert for 40 years Israel did not enter the promised land and now they're back, about to enter, not from the south but from the east, in the land of Moab after 40 years of wandering. Uh, They've had some battles against Og and Sion, two lesser kings on the eastern side of the river, but much bigger battles await. Uh, This is a time for courage and trust. I think Deuteronomy would have us understand and I think that's why we've got verse 2 it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. the writer of Deuteronomy wants Israel to know, wants us to know that sometimes a short journey can become really long and complicated and difficult if you don't trust God 11 day journey became a 40 year journey because of disobedience and rebellion The previous generation got to the border in 11 days and then they died before any Israelite entered the land 40 years later. This is covenantal theology. God says, I promise to do this, you must obey me. And if there is no obedience, there is cursing, there is rejection, there is the loss of God's purposes and plans. 11 days became 40 years, and now the 40 years have passed. We might want to say our choices matter. Our obedience matters. The consequences of our choices are real. And for Israel, the consequences were real. An 11-day journey to the Promised Land became a 40-year test. I think of Jesus in the wilderness. He was there for 40 days and he was tested by the devil in that time when jesus came under testing uh, he obeyed god he loved god he served god and having entered the desert led by the holy spirit he left filled with the holy spirit and he started his ministry Um, jesus does what israel failed to do and he does it perfectly well Um, so there's a lot of similarity between this wilderness experience and the wilderness days of Jesus so where are they going uh, let's look at 5 6 7 and 8 uh, Moses says that the Lord had said to us, to your parents at Mount Sinai you've stayed long enough at this mountain um, they've been there 11 months and 20 days it was time to break camp and 40 years now have passed And the key words of verse 8. I have given you this land. Go in, take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to their descendants after them. They are going into the land that God has already given them by promise, by covenant. He gave it, as it were, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to Israel forever. And now Israel is about to go in and take possession. I want to make three points about the land, the word give, and the word take in scripture. First of all, let's think about land. Too often I think Christians sort of lift the gospel away from the reality of where we live in the street and the dirt and the shops and the mountains that are our land. God loves the land, he loves the world, he loves the shop community, the business community that we're about to put leaflets into, he loves your street, he loves these mountains, Um, he loves the parks, he loves this land, he loves Springwood, he loves Winmarley, he loves Israel and God has come to renew the world, people in places are being renewed by the grace of God throughout scripture. Jesus comes to this land. He's born in Bethlehem. He's from the tribe of Judah. He lives in Nazareth. His first disciples are from this land. Uh, The mission to rescue the world launched from Jerusalem as the Holy Spirit's poured out there in Acts 2. Uh, Our preaching this year will focus on both Deuteronomy and Acts but also on what is God doing here? What's God doing in this place that we are part of with his love for the land, the world, and the new creation. Uh, We talk rightly so that God is rescuing people, he is. He's also renewing places, including Springwood, Falcon Bridge, Penrith, Nepean, wherever. God loves the land. He loves places to flourish, to be places of justice and joy and community and freedom. He loves to renew the places where you go, this land, that school, these shops, your street, that park, these mountains. God has plans and purposes this year for you to be an agent of the kingdom of God in this land. Now, when we walk around the streets of Springwood, we pray, we ask that the Lord will be revealed to the people of this place. We ask that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on this place. We pray as we walk, as we sit in the park benches, that God will come and reveal himself. God is a God of place. He's a God with plans and purposes for places. He gives Israel this land. Jesus loves the world. He sends the Holy Spirit to all the lands. I have given you this land. So let's understand the gospel in terms of people in places. It's important that we're agents of the kingdom in the places where we are. We pray for our neighbours. We invite our neighbors we talk with our neighbors we seek to love our neighbors in the places where we are love the place you are and be God's agent in the place where you are I've given you this land go in and take possession of the land the Lord says the words give and take are really important in Scripture God is a great giver But when he gives people gifts, there's a responsibility to go and take it. To pick it up and use it. To take possession of it, he says here. And one of the great conundrums or challenges, I guess, in reading scripture is that the land God gives to Israel is inhabited, not empty. This land, the land of Canaan, it's filled with Canaanite people, with tribes, with Philistines, with Amorites, with Jebusites and so on. It's inhabited by many, many people who have already built cities, planted crops and saturated the place with their idols and altars. This is not an empty land. It's not a neutral land. It's a land filled with other people. It's got to be taken. And that means military warfare. Israel doesn't have an army. They have walled cities that they're going to have to assail, like Jericho. There are giants in this land. There are armies in this land. It needs to be taken. God's gifts come to us with a challenge, with a responsibility. If we're to take God's gifts, that requires obedience, sometimes courage, often love, sacrifice, faithfulness, generosity. God's gift beckons faithful responses. It's not a gift for complacency or for just keeping. It's a gift to bless people with. And part of the issue in Deuteronomy is taking this land that God gives. The gift needs to be taken. If we could express what God's mission is for Israel as they take this land, what would we say? And let me give you a summary of what I think Deuteronomy is all about and we'll come back to this many times I think over the next weeks Israel is responsible to love God in this land and live holy lives such that the land becomes a holy place where God can live the land of Canaan is to become like heaven as it were on earth this land will shine with wisdom and love justice and joy The people in this land will pray and worship the true Lord and as they do this land will be renewed and cleansed. It will become peaceful and exceedingly fruitful. Not only people will flourish but the soil, the trees the animals. This whole land will be blessed as God comes to live in Canaan. This land will be a place where God's temple will be built, where God's tabernacle will be initially built, where God will live at peace with people of faith, hope and love. This land will become a home to all that is good and beautiful and wise. This land will be an exemplar of God's plan for the whole world. It will be like a magnet and other people will come and have a look because it's so beautiful. That's what happens for a brief time when Solomon is king. People are coming to this land because they've heard how famous Solomon is and how glorious his court is and how wise Israel is. People from other nations are welcome to join God's plan. They're welcome to celebrate God's mission. And we have one famous story in scripture, as Joshua commences when Rahab, a Canaanite woman uh, of immoral reputation, perhaps a prostitute, and her family, who are Canaanites, determined that they want to be part of God's plan, God's mission for this land to be holy. And she asks the spies from Israel, can we join with you? We want to believe in your God and walk with your God. And the Israelite spies don't say to her, you're a Canaanite, you can't join with us. This is ethnic, it's only Israel. They don't say that. Generously, graciously, extravagantly they say, sure, you can join with us. And all your family and everybody who gets under the cover of your household on the night that Jericho falls, we'll be saved. Hang out that red ribbon, and you're part of the wall where you and your family are. That won't fall down. God invites people of all races to join in his plan. He's cleansing this land. It's not just for Israel, it's for anyone. Everyone. If Canaanite people choose not to be part of God's plan, as God comes from heaven, as it were, to live in Canaan, in holiness, then they can leave. They can live in Egypt or Syria or Babylon or somewhere else. Or they, if they stay, they'll come under God's judgment. And we have a lot of stories of judgment, which we'll talk about, But we also need to realise this, that when Israel disobeys God and refuses to live holy lives and acts like Canaanites acted, they also come under God's judgement and they are punished severely by the Lord as are other people. In fact, when Israel is finally exiled from this land, God describes that as the land vomits you out. It vomits you out because you're so unclean and my purpose for this land is that it's clean. Richard Dawkins and some of the new atheists argue that God is homophobic, misogynistic, ethnic, violently a cleanser and he's against people and that's not the story of Deuteronomy or Joshua. The story of Deuteronomy and Joshua is that God wants to Purge evil, cleanse the land, bring holiness, joy, beauty, and goodness to the earth as it is in heaven. And everyone's invited. Come and live in this place of worship and praise and love and justice. Join up with Israel. Now, of course, the plan is long delayed in its unfolding until Jesus comes and look at alive at five tonight and look at the church all over the world living out the justice and love of God in the midst of corrupt lands. Until Christ returns, this plan is being realised through the mission of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the church, as he still takes on the dark spots of the world and makes them light again. And you and I are part of that here in Springwood and the Blue Mountains. That's God's mission... For this land. And that's part of what's really exciting, I think, about Deuteronomy and Acts and about 2023 for this church. We have a chance to say, Christ, creativity, community, communication, all those lovely C words, come and be part of something beautiful. Come and be part of a community of love. Come and share meals with us. Come and pray. Come and know God's forgiveness and love. Come and know God's guidance come from the streets of Springwood into God's purposes for this land. We had a new bloke at church this morning, homeless, came in, sat, talked, made some new friends. Perhaps he'll join up with the people of God. That's God's mission and that was Israel's responsibility. Perhaps this church, like the people of Deuteronomy, like the people of Acts, are feeling it's sort of time to move back into God's mission. Times are changing. Times have changed. We've had three years of COVID. We've had the consequences of COVID. We've had things sort of slow down and change. Perhaps the changes fill you with dread, or fear, or excitement. But are we up for the challenge? Are we up for, let's go, let's trust God to cross that boundary, to go across that verge, to cross that river, to step into what God's got for us this year. In preparation I was reminded of the words of Jesus to the church in Luke 12, or to his disciples in luke 12 jesus says to his disciples he says do not be afraid little flock i love that church feels weak small do not be afraid little flock your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom yes if it stopped there we go great you know we're the recipients of a generous gift eternal life Forgiveness, Holy Spirit, church. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. There's gift. That's gift. But then Jesus goes on and says this. (laughs) Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. Treasure in heaven that will not fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's take up. Jesus says, the Father will give you the kingdom. He's pleased to give you the kingdom. But no complacency, no passivity, no thank you, Lord, I'll just keep it all to myself. Sell your possessions, he says, give to the poor, change your heart, find new treasure. Everything changes when God gives you the kingdom. That's the take-up. It's the same pattern in Ephesians 6. God gives the Holy Spirit. He gives authority. He gives power. But then he says, but take up your sword. Put on your helmet. Take up your shield. Put on your shoes. Put on your belt. Put on your breastplate. It's not, you know, you've got all power, you've got all authority, you've got the Holy Spirit, so sit down and relax. It's, I've given you, now you take up. I think that's all the way through Scripture, and I think for these people in Deuteronomy, as they're camped east of the Jordan, and Jericho's over there, and there's a river to cross, God says, I've given you the land, and you go, beauty. Well, you've got to go and take it. What does that mean for you? and I this year what's God given us what's he asking us to take in response to his gift no passivity no complacency no self-contentment no holding that gift tightly and just sitting around God has given what will we now take up the language of give and take through scripture then is constant it's not about independent risk-taking. It's not about foolish adventuring. It's a response of faithful obedience. God gives, and we take up the responsibility of agency for the kingdom in the world. Let's pause for a few minutes and perhaps name a few things in your mind that you need to take up this year, and uh, then we'll pray. Let's, let's do that. Father, we're just going to imagine thinking in our own heads for a minute about what you've given us and what you want us to take up this year father you are the generous giver the Rich Giver, Creation, Christ, Spirit, Gifts. We are to be the obedient, taker-upper's responsibility, obedience, courage, faithfulness, stepping out in response to your gift, covenantal partnership. Help us to be really clear, excited, prayerful about what you want us to take up this year as a church, in our individual lives. Help us to be really clear, prayerful as to what you want us to take up here in Springwood, perhaps where we live, in our families, in our other ministry endeavours. Lord, you are the great giver. Thank you. May we be responsible and obedient as we take up and represent you as your agents in this time, this year, as church and individuals, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.